Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Fine. And it is it is morning for me. It's morning, even more morning for you. Yes, it is. Eight o'clock for me. Eight o'clock for you. Wow. I've been out chasing. There is a rabbit trying to dig a hole in my yard. I've mm. been out trying to chase him off because I do not want a rabbit den in my yard. Like, <laughs> rabbits are cute and all, but once they start digging holes, no, I'm done. <laughs> Thanks, but but find some other place to dig a hole. That's crazy. This morning, we're joined by Alvaro, who is in some random and classified location in a random and classified hotel room. I'm usually in the basement of my house. This sort of looks like a basement, but I'm in a hotel even earlier than you. Uh, It's uh, 6 a.m. for me today. Oh, so you must be West Coast. Yep. Ah, okay. So there you go. See, Alvaro's giving us clues about where he is. He shouldn't be doing that because it's a classified location. And then (laughs) we're joined by Leisha Zhang, who I think is also on the West Coast. Is that right? Leisha, are you in Boston? I can't remember. You could be in Cambridge or something, right? Right. I was in Boston uh, 30 years back. Oh, okay. Well, that's how I keep And this is 6 a.m. I hope we don't run over an hour because otherwise, Heading to campus, gonna be challenging. <laughs> and then Dirk, I'm not sure where you are, Dirk. Yeah, I should be uh, in uh, Guangzhou in China, um, but I'm actually uh, in Germany, so um, European <laughs> summertime zone. Okay, awesome. Where are you in Germany? Um, in a, close to a city called uh, Bremen, which is one of the northern cities in, in, in Germany. Okay, cool. That's great. Yeah. Close the door for the room. (laughs) So, all right, cool. So today we are talking about decentralized internet infrastructure or DENRG, which is a research group. So a lot of people don't understand the difference between a research group and a working group. Maybe Alvaro, you want to explain that instead of me sitting here chattering constantly. Uh, Sure, I'll try, but I'll let uh, Dirk and Alicia fill in anything that I might leave out. So the, the ATF, I think as we know it, is usually made up of working groups. They are engineering working groups, they have deliverables, they produce protocols and, and things. Uh, research groups are actually not part of the IETF, they are part of the IRTF, uh, the Internet Research Task Force. And so they are chartered, similar to a working group, but in this case to do research. So in general, there are research questions. There are uh, you know, general objectives that, that the research group has. And so opposed to a working group where you have milestones and documents that you produce, here I think is more of a discussion. Uh, there might be documents produced by the research group, but not necessarily. Um, so I, I think I see it more as a venue for discussion to maybe attract people to the standards process to look for things that may be eventually ready for engineering, the other things along those lines. Uh, is that, uh, Dirk and Lisha, is that a, a good characterization of what the energy has been about? Or what yeah, it sounds, sounds very good. Um, if I can add one thing, so um, 
what we like to say is that um, the uh, Internet Research Task Force groups um, are often concerned with um, like long-term continuous research um, that could become relevant for like future standardization. Um, and it's not only about discussion, it's also um, um, to some extent to um, say encourage um, and conduct um, say experiments on new technologies. So we, we have different types of, of groups. So, um, you know, some are investigating things that are always relevant. So like new crypto um, algorithms um, or transport, um, you know, protocol topics. Then we have some, say, architecturally or say networking approach um, oriented groups like information sending networking research group. And then um, so DINRG, Decentralized Internet Research Group, that's a group that is has several several goals so it's kind of trying to um like foster better understanding about uh problems so problems of centralization and then um find out um yeah possible remedies or actions and um uh, but first of all kind of really develop a better understanding of of, uh, of a problem so that, that's more of the discussion uh, nature that you mentioned so, so it's interesting that, that what you just said uh, because if I understood correctly, you said problems with centralization, not decentralization. And and the working group is about the decentralized internet. And you know, that's a question that that I always have in the back of my mind because they both go hand in hand. There are many things that we see as the internet has evolved and for economic reasons and others that are centralized services. But there are many, uh, or maybe others, that that have been developing as decentralized. Um, so, has the research group focused on what? On both centralized and decentralized? Has it looked more at decentralization? What what has has the working group been, or the research group? I'm sorry, been doing in the last few years. Mm. So, if I jump in and uh, following Dirk's early comments different from working groups, we're not trying to design a specific protocol. We actually look at uh, the, the bigger picture and understanding like uh, the crypto stuff, we're understanding what's the essential tools uh, that's not readily to be standardized yet, but what the new solutions can be developed. For this uh, thing, the decentralization of the internet research group. Uh, we just uh, collected all these uh, observations by the networking community at large to understand why the internet, like uh, the, the operations, and uh, especially the applications are now or get uh, centralized in the sense that a very few number of application providers actually dominate uh, the global internet. Uh, that has uh, a number of uh, consequent results, as people all know. Um, so regarding centralized or decentralized, I think there are two different aspects to look at that. One is the, uh, the boxes 
that uh, delivers the packets in the boxes that send and receive packets, uh, are, where are they located? Uh, but there's also the question of who controls them. And uh, then there's a moral, there's a bigger question that is between the application providers and the uh, you know, application users, who serves whom? I think that it's a very interesting question to dive deep into it. Yeah. So, so yeah. So my impression of GenRG is that you're not so much trying to say why decentralization is bad. Because, I mean, there are good and bad aspects to decentralization, or centralization, I'm sorry, I have to flip that. that central, you're not trying to talk about why centralization is bad, per se, even though we all know there are problems with centralization. And, you know, the, the IAB has been working in that area for a while and trying to write some drafts and stuff. But more about, like, how to support decentralization. Is that a more, is that a more effective, like, why aren't people decentralizing? Why are people building centralized infrastructures? And what can be done to help the issue or the cause of building more decentralized resources? Is that a fair kind of evaluation or am I off base there? Mm, I think we are actually trying to do both because okay. um, before you start trying to decentralize things, um, so we think it's really mandatory to to understand um, the factors that led to the centralization in the first place. And just the naming questions or centralized or decentralized. I mean, when the internet was started 40 years ago, it was kind of conceived um, as a distributed and decentralized um, infrastructure. And so on, on several, say, as several layers, so, um, so routing, uh, but also the design of other protocols um, that um, we developed. And as we all know, um, the system has changed quite a bit over time. So both in the ways that we you know, use applications, as Lisha um, explained, but also when you look at you know, just the, like the, the capital con concentration, like who is actually um, owning and who is building infrastructure um, these days. And so, of course, this is not a like very specific phenomena in, in, in the internet, because we, we, we see that in, in all kinds of industries, uh, also in the past, we all always had phases where technology became mature and then, you know, companies try to uh, create monopolies and um, then um, like governments try to um, um, put in regulation measures against it and, and so on. However, for the internet and say internet and web uh, and at large, you could also say it's a bit um, a special environment because, uh, for example, some of the um, centralization of um, you know control and and data, well, can have really uh, bad consequences. So we have seen this in say um, you know who, who owns search, who owns social networks, and so on. The whole um, like data economy uh, um, uh, around that, and um, so yeah, people, societies uh, are kind of concerned uh, about this level of of centralization, and so it's uh, not only a problem in terms of um, you know reducing or like kind of limiting um, the, the the market functions, but also. 
really negative um, effects on the overall system and society. And so when you investigate that problem, so there are interesting questions to ask. So, uh, so is there anything in addition to the normal, you know, capital concentration factors and um, you know uh, efficiency through um, so through consolidation factors is there anything say maybe technical that uh, so in the internet design or the way that we the, the systems work that um, led to concentration and centralization or that accelerated in this trend so that's so these are some of the questions that we are investigating in this group you know, when I, I think about that, it's always interesting, of course, how the internet has grown to be part of everyone's life. I mean, we can't do anything anymore without being connected somewhere or looking something up or uh, talking to other people like this um, every day, all the time. But, you know, I also wonder how much the effect is the other way, meaning not just the internet has influence on society, social networking and other things, but we got here somehow as well, meaning the economic, social, political landscape of the world has helped the internet evolve in a specific way. Um, not only centralized or decentralized, but you know, there's other topics um, you know, probably related to fragmentation and other things that have to do with that socioeconomic political sort of landscape um so in other words you know the, the internet is great it's not you know the the reason for all our bad things in the world um but uh you know sometimes the, the result of of other forces as well so i i i found um when you talked about in, in oh yeah go ahead Alicia. Sorry. if i can inject the comments here I think we use the word centralized, decentralized, uh, uh, all the way through our conversation. I, I think that those one critical point that requires a clear definition. Centralization of what? And decentralization of what? Um, I think many people view these two words apply to the resource allocations. For example, uh, there's a cloud services. Is that uh, the worry we have about the centralized uh, system? Uh, I I think uh, the to me the this thing are just a viewpoint actually. The fundamental question about the centralization is not about how many servers a big companies can have, but rather it is about the control power. Uh, the big IT. Uh, companies have over their millions or billions of end users. Uh, for example, Jeff Houston a few years back wrote a blog and that side said, it's so great you can have the world of knowledge under your fingertips. It is also the scary that a single company decides what you get to see. That is the concern about centralized control of power. Yeah, I would actually extend that to protocols, by the way. I would extend that to protocol development, protocol distribu distribution, 
Um, I would even extend that, and I think Jeff does as well, to, again, what you said earlier, Alicia, about physical uh, physical facilities, right? If you're a new cloud provider trying to come up today, it's very difficult to compete with these large cloud providers who already have such a huge fiber footprint mm. and can, you know, just economically overwhelm you because you just can't build the topology that they already have. So you can't get to the user eyeballs as fast as they can. So therefore, you're at a disadvantage from day one trying to maintain and grab new users. They can replicate whatever service you develop, but they can do it faster and better because they had more developers, more control over the protocols, and they have the physical footprint to get to the users faster. So yeah, I mean, I think these are economic drivers that are really important to understand. so I don't know. I don't know. Dirk had so maybe. We said earlier that uh, you know, centralized may not be right. I think fundamentally there is a factor of uh, economy of scale. So therefore, if you have bigger server farm that can serve many many users, the cost will be going down. But the service is one thing. Control of your users is an entirely different problem. Uh, we need to separate out these two clearly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I would agree with that, by the way. That's another thing, too, right? I mean, people go to the services they're familiar with. They don't try new things. And therefore, you know, you you end up in this constant cycle of, uh, I know how to. And this is um, Kaifu Lee's virtuous cycle as well, right? The more data I have about you, the more I I can pull your, yeah, go ahead, Derek. Sorry, I don't know. Yeah, exactly that point, right? So especially in these, um, say, data science-based services, um, it's it's really hard to um, come up with a new, say, um, competitor uh, if you have to compete against companies who have collected all the data for years and uh, have built their their businesses around that. And um, and so yeah, this um, it has problems from a market perspective, but of course, yeah, I mean, was we knowing like the, the like data uh, markets, um, say user data markets behind those services, that it's also a problem in terms of privacy uh, manipulation uh, and so on. Yeah, yeah. So there was an interesting article recently by a former Google guy who just resigned from Google, and I don't remember his name right now, talking about how they don't have moats for things like large language models. That moats are ineffective. And I don't know what impact that's going to have on these questions about centralization, decentralization, but that's another entire kind of realm. Right. So I think, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of fits to this discussion in a sense that um, there is, of course, a certain potential for even further centralization. So based on um, large language models and um, the systems that can actually run them. On the other hand, well, these things could also be open sourced and then uh, lead to a different situation. I think we have to kind of wait and see how, how things develop then. Yeah, I would agree on that. That is, it's not like uh, you have a great application that would, would be centralized. Uh, Dirk mentioned about privacy questions. For example, this uh, smart homes, I actually listened to a podcast yesterday. That started by just with all the good intentions, uh, make your home understand you so that it can better serve you. But what happened commercially, however, is that uh, Google bought this uh, nest, and so so therefore everything sucked into the cloud 
This is no longer the purpose solely just for serving you better, but rather to understand uh, yourself better through the kind of private data and then provided the information for selling advertisement and you know for big data analysis so that promote all the different purposes way beyond the original goal, which is nothing more, nothing less, just to serve the home users. I think this really reflected this control question. We all know that cloud services has great advantages being uh, this uh, economy of scale. But the question is, why should the smart home information goes to the cloud? And that is really the providers of the service. I would say abuse the, their power and uh, uh, utilize the, the personal data for their commercial gain. Well, I think we, I, I think we trend. Go ahead. Uh, so the question is really talk about the control power. Can the user get back the control of their personal data? And that currently answers no, because the control power is in the hands of smart home providers. And that is a big problem. We need to understand how we can control, take back the control power of my private data in my hand without losing the smart home service advantages. Great, Tom, you were gonna kick in there. I, I, I just wonder what the effect of, I mean, in, in society, we generally trend towards specialization anyway over time, and um, wondered what what you all thought about um, that trend towards specialization in terms of how it relates to how it relates to centralization. Because if you if you specialize, if somebody gets really good at offering cloud services, and it becomes more and more difficult to uh, compete with that person, is are aren't we naturally headed towards a place where fewer people do more specific things? How how do you think that that how does that relate to centralization and some of the other themes we've been talking about? So I'm not sure that those are exactly the. So I'm not sure that you can't do dis- decentralization with uh, let's let Lisha and Dar- and Dirk throw in this, but I'm not convinced you can't do decentralization with specialization. I don't know. So I think yeah. Um, so this question, um, I think, has yeah. You, so it's a bit ambivalent um, because I mean we as we see certain really big companies on the web that are not specialized at all, but they kind of offer all kinds of services, uh, search, email, and and so on. But on the other hand, I think there is some truth to that um, comment um, in a sense. So when you, when you try to analyze, so what led to this centralization in the first place? So how did service providers um, become dominant uh, and so on? Um, so we kind of discussed this um, as well in in, in Dynergy, and so you can you can see a certain pattern that that I mean um, so like the like the home networking example that Lisha provided. Initially, um, there is a certain problem that companies try to to address. So um, making it easy to connect your your home devices uh, and so on, or solving the problem of search, what we discussed earlier. And then, um, so so quickly, um, there is 
somehow a certain trend towards yeah just a few pay players being able to um, stay successful in, in those roles and um, one interesting example that maybe also you know sheds some light on say how say the conditions or like the, the way that the internet works contributes to this um, could be email so as you as you as we all know so um, email was fundamentally a federated system in, in the beginning and so by now it's it's heavily um, centralized right so there are uh, most people most companies outsource their email servers servers and so on and um, so the question is so why did that happen and so is this just uh, you know economic concentration or is it something else and for for this topic you could probably say well everybody who has ever tried to um you know install and um, operate a secure mail server over time has probably realized how hard it is to do it correctly and to keep the system safe so um there is some complexity involved in that and so you could say maybe this complexity and uh, maybe also some sh shortcomings in the the design make it quite hard for like individual small enterprises and even bigger enterprises to to run these services themselves so which could then basically be a factor for for centralization in in that particular space so that's also interesting to discuss right, how you know did these maybe design problems or operational problems uh, le uh, lead to concentration I'd like to follow up uh, this uh, Dirk's uh, email uh, example because uh, I went through, I lived through this whole process. When I started looking into TCPIP, that was back in 1981. TCPIP was not even rolled out yet until two years later. So in those days, the institutions like uh, universities, they all run their own email services uh, as like uh, the service to the local user community. There is not uh, the commercial offering uh, for business. But uh, once the commercial email service providers came, right, they were run for business. So therefore, they have more uh, the resources to look into, like uh, tailor the service for better, as opposed to a poor department uh, admin, uh, I mean, IT people. They run this merely just to make a local uh, user happen, happy. But I want to say that today it is not just a running a, a vanilla email server that difficult. I know multiple people who tried to maintain their individual email services. The fundamental challenge is not the IT challenge. Fundamentally, it's a security challenge from all aspects. You know, all this intrusions, all this DDoS, and then consequently, all these roadblocks by ISPs, they prevent you from running email service from home. Just for the concern, this would be eventually turned into a DDoS box or causing other problems. So yeah. I think the security, the lack of effective security has turned into night with all these clues about the firewalls, you know, blockings. And that really disabled the distributed uh, services that we used to have. Uh, I will follow a quick example about the, the homes. Specialization, I agree, there's always specialized things. But for the email example, it's not because we don't know how to write. It's really straightforward without the security 
being the number one problem for you to run your own email services. And back to the home uh, IoT systems, I would illustrate that there's another thing in addition to we really need to work on security. There's another issue for the smart homes. Why would the smart homes call up the cloud? That is, we do not have, again, solution developed for the IoT devices directly talk to each other in your home in a secure way. And therefore, so, so far, how do we do security? TLS, transfer the layer security, encrypt everything, shooting up to the, the cloud servers. So back then in 1981, when I entered graduate school, with a gigantic server hanging 100 terminals. And these days, I keep seeing the similar picture, except that what is that the gigantic super, I mean, the mainframe now becomes the cloud. And what's hanging on that cloud is not the, the wires, but rather TOS. And then everything else just become the data providers to that mainframe cloud today. And then, uh, you know, supply their data uh, under its control. But that's a very non-creative picture as we see that. There's also yeah. adjacent problems, right, that come into play. Like for me, I tend, I try, try, try to use a non, like a not, a more secure mail provider that's more concerned about my privacy and is not one of your mainstream providers. You know, I don't use Proton, but I use something similar to Proton. It's a provider, and so it is cloud-based. But the biggest problem that I always face is calendaring. And because every provider in the world has built their own calendaring system and they don't talk to each other, they kind of roughly work with CalDAV, but not entirely. And, mm. and CardDAV is the same sort of a problem. So, I mean, you, you're limited. If you want to use CalDAV and CardDAV, you're limited to like two clients and like four providers because nobody else supports this stuff. And you're like, wait a minute, you know, this is just centralization. That's all this is. You're just forcing me. You're like, oh, yeah, I'll give you a free email account. Awesome, awesome. You know, but for calendaring, you've got to use my web interface. Right. Well, you know, you're playing the little, I'm going to use this adjacent product to suck you in and make you use my other product. Yeah. So we we see this also in other areas. Um, so that um, say dominant players try to lock in people even more by moving away from actually well working standard protocols. Uh, so email is another example where IMAP um, I think would say I would say works pretty well. It has been has been implemented in in, in all products, but concentration in in email well certain companies try to force you to use their own proprietary email retrieval protocol. And so it's also, it's not only, I mean, a concentration problem is also, you can, you could say all the work that went into this um, interoperable standards um, is kind of becoming less relevant, uh, you know, thanks to, to, the, to these developments. Yeah. Um, there's another interesting aspect that you could, um, you know, analyze when when you think about factors um, for centralization. So, another trend that we are seeing is there are like there's a certain type of companies, so like Cloudflare and so on, who are providing very useful services for um, you know protecting servers against DDoS attacks and so on. Where well, you could also say that well, basically 
this is also a centralization um, development. And so you could ask the question, um, so what are the factors that uh, led to this? And if you go, like, go back to the, say, early days of the internet, um, well, the internet was kind of cool and uh, innovative in a sense that we had this system where you could communicate to any any host connected to the network and you could just um, send data without signaling and it's very easy to to um, innovate and develop new applications well this say ease of use and uh, this ability to send uh, unsolicited data to any host of course is also a factor for or enabler for for uh, many kinds of attacks and so um, so this ability necessitates um, say different um, levels of protection um, that uh, we we now we cannot live without and so what um, was a really good idea uh, back then turned out to be slightly problematic uh, in a world where like critical services rely on the internet and so some people say this could be another factor that um, led to some of these trends well i want to follow up with jerk regarding ddos why do we have DDoS? Is that because IP is that anyone can send things to anyone else? Uh, that's a problem. Or should we remove that freedom to mitigate the DDoS? I think that's really without a basic understanding of the problem, the solution is in, an incorrect one. Right. Uh, internet succeeded because of this nature of anyone can communicate with anyone else. That is needed not only in the day one of the internet, it is still needed today. You know, how do you limit who can send you email? Because there'll be, you know, remote friends you have never met before, they're gonna contact you. The fundamental problem today with the DDoS is not that other people can send to you. It's because there are too many compromised devices that create this unstoppable volume of attack traffic. So that is the root cause of the DDoS. Why we have so many compromised devices? That's because the devices is so easy. So the bad guys can collect them billions, multiple millions of those things and use at their fingertips. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was looking for this uh, paper we are submitting this week. Uh, the title is Revealing the Architectural Design Patterns in Volumetric DDoS Defense Design Space. This talks about why we haven't created uh, effective DDoS mitigation solutions, despite, I think the solution development started at least uh, 30 years back. Uh, is that lack of support? Not at all. There's multiple millions of dollars, if not more, that has gone into this uh, space. And God knows how many papers published, thousands. Where is the effective solution? Well, we do have a mitigation solution that is called the MAAS, mitigation as a service. Uh, those services provided, again, is centralized by a small number of big companies. They have the resources to actually absorb the attack traffics by brute force and then move them somewhere for further analysis. Uh, or otherwise, you know, you can ask uh, the CDN providers to uh, provide you not only CDN services, but also DDoS defense. That is, they are the boxes 
upfront, absorb all the attack, then further sort out legit traffic from attack traffic. Uh, due to the volume of DDoS attack, this MAAS business is a centralized one. Mm. Very few parties could afford the resources to absorb the attack just in a brute force way. Well, and I so, don't, I don't so think I, it's... Oh, go ahead. So I think fundamentally, there's a security question. That is, why so many compromised devices? Right? That's because the, the vanilla TCP IP has no security whatsoever. And those manufacturers, they sell $5 each uh, IoT devices, for example. They do not put a more advanced protection into it, like a TOS, uh, TOS stuff. That's really the insecure, the plain TCP IP installed with the port wide open. And that caused the devices get compromised. And that's how we get never stoppable uh, DDoS traffic. So go ahead, Tom. You were going to throw in there something. Yeah, I, I was just I, so having been involved in a couple of projects to deploy or consider deploying DDoS mitigation, not from these large providers, but to build our own. I think there are other things too. It's just speaking of the concentration of effort and capital, it's 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 not always just because it's too expensive and we can't afford it. It's also because you know it's first of all, it's not our core business, and second of all, that the to bring the assets online that would allow us to to defend ourselves would take so much time that we would like, like time is, it wasn't even, wouldn't even be money in a couple of the cases that I'm thinking of. It's actually time and opportunity costs that we would be um, having to deal with instead of our core business, which sort of further drives the centralization because there are lots of people that are going to have that same business reasoning. Um, And then there are going to be enough people have this similar business reasoning around a product like DDoS mitigation. And and then that sort of is begging for centralization because then someone can come along and assemble all these customers together and and produce this service. So I I think there are a couple of things that lead to this. And I don't I don't know if there's a way to attack those. Um, but just that was just while you were talking there, Alicia, I was thinking about my experience trying to deploy these things. It's exceedingly difficult to deploy mm-hmm. um, these types of services. Right. Yeah. So, so we keep uh, you know talking about the, the you know some of the issues around you know trust and control and uh, security that that are definitely issues with centralized deployments or implementations of things. Um, I, I want to go back and, and talk about distributed technologies, and I'm interested in the in the conversation in the research group uh, around technologies such as distributed ledger type mechanisms. You know, some people say that crypto is going to eat the world. And it's been an interesting thing because if you believe the marketing, uh, these distributed mechanisms are going to solve a lot of the trust, uh, a lot of the control issues. Uh, they can be used for interesting things, I mean, from finance to identity management and other very, very important things. But at the same time, there's a lot of people, uh, many people in the ITF, for example, that shy away from that. There is no real specific work, for example, in the ITF on distributed ledger, ledger technology. But it is something that is mentioned in the Dinergy uh, charter. So, so I'm interested in, in not just do we believe the hype or not, but in, in how the conversation has gone in the research group 
uh, has there been conversation around those types of solutions? Where has it gone in, in the research group? Right. Um, so maybe I um, let me take one one step back here. So um, so so we we just discussed um, say the current situation and uh, some potential factors and so on. And so now in this environment, um, of course, you seek certain counter movements and proposals and or in, in really different areas. So first of all, there is this whole say yeah concentration and also kind of like market tussle so like the traditional internet service providers or telco companies versus the say application service providers uh, and so on and of course you see also all kinds of you know say like uh, um, local lobbying in different regions and and countries to persuade legislators and regulators um, to kind of rein in um, the, the big tech companies and, and so on um, so that that's one one trend. So you also mentioned fragmentation uh, earlier. So there's also place um, in in this field. And um, then there's also yeah, the, like what what is called the, like the so-called decentralized technologies, uh, also Web three and uh, all these things. And um, yeah, so uh, while it's true that um, there are like some technologies that could be used for building decentralized um, systems, um, say just to mention blockchain um, things and so on. Um, it is not quite clear whether you you sh can and actually should apply them to internet scale services for uh, like different reasons. Uh, so reason number one is, uh, well, for like, um, so blockchain, like Bitcoin, like, like, like infrastructures, you could ask the question: How centralized are they actually, right? And how uh, how easy can it be to to sabotage them and to take over control? Then there are all kinds of other questions um, regarding um, scalability, um, performance, uh, so latency for certain transactions, uh, and so on. So Dinergy in the past um, has been a forum where um, like different, you could say, point solutions have been presented uh, and discussed. And it's not quite clear. So let's say at the current uh, stage, how useful um, these ideas really are. And so at the moment, what we are, what we try to do is actually take a step back and really um, develop a better understanding um, of the, say, situation, the the root causes, and then um, say carefully analyze um, different potential ways to make mitigate um, um, centralization and so the current understanding is is rather that instead of like one you know a silver bullet um there's going to be a mix of things so so like regulation legislation in different regions will be trying to to do something for us it would be important to avoid breaking up the internet and um it's like coming up with um yeah, say kind of proposals that lead to more fragmentation or just destroy important properties like permissionless innovation and, and all these things. And so, in order to do that, um, I think it's 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 good to develop this understanding. So, um, say what are like really like technical problems? What are just problems that need say market control response uh, uh, and so on? And by that, it also inform those bodies uh, to make better decisions in the future. And 
well, it's just my my view, but um, I'm not sure how like the say popular decentralized technologies uh, can really play a role there. I think this is not the um, the, the the first problem to um, like put centralized services onto the blockchain or something. Uh, I think the Turkey is very polite. Uh, so let me more, be more frank <laughs> about blockchain. I should say that I represent my personal position, not the entire technology. Uh, I think there's a separate issues we really need to clarify. Uh, I will be very brief. Uh, first of all, it's about uh, blockchain. I think when people talk about a blockchain, they imply this anonymous blockchain, not the, the ledger, like a hyperledger, where users actually identify. So generally speaking, blockchains are anonymous blockchain. Uh, so on itself, actually, this way has a problem. Because everyone is anonymous. Who can do what? Uh, if you don't have a gating function, then one person can pretend to be 1,000 or 1 million. So to prevent that civil uh, problem, blockchains, no matter which flavor, they, they had a high bar of the gating function to prevent a civil attack. So either proof of power, otherwise proof of stake. This means that whoever has more resources will be more in the control and they get paid for their service. I use the word, the rich get richer. And that is the so-called decentralization of control power for blockchain-based technology. But this is only their own problem. Those are actually uh, much bigger problems. Exactly this system where rich get richer can actually offer. By the name, it's just an immutable distributed ledger. And nothing more and nothing less than that. Think about if it just being a distributed recording system, how does it actually tell whatever recorded in the system is a correct or incorrect information? I think this is the advantage of a highly replicated, highly accessible public recording of everything. On the other hand, if you do not know what goes into the system, but rather just based on whoever has the power saying this one goes in, that one not going in. That does not guarantee this chain actually you've recorded all the correct information. Uh, Bitcoin is an entirely separate issue because what is recorded is the value and they can compute how much coin you have in order to, uh, to put into it. But for the blockchain usage, for all the other purposes, there's no validation checking entirely to actually approve whatever recorded there as a correct value or correct asset. Without having a gating function on what's getting recorded, people still take as a default assumption that whatever gets recorded is the truth. And that don't you see there's a really conflict between the two? I'm so kind of energetic because we are actually finished a paper like this morning for the dorm workshop. So there is a workshop on this uh, metaverse. And many people believe that the metaverse can use um, blockchain as a security solution in an entirely decentralized fashion. And we did a very simple analysis to say, how does the blockchain help you with security? All it does is it can record all the metaverse transactions. How do you know what's getting recorded that's even correct? Or 
so not to say there's the policies you can decide. We use a tea party as example to say who can pour the tea in, uh, into my pot, and I only take a green tea. So how can I only accept the green tea if you use the blockchain as a solution? You know, all you recorded is okay. Someone pour the tea into my pot. What kind of tea? Blockchain doesn't answer those kind of application semantic information, but that is what's needed to secure a distributed system. Uh, I just want to point out the public does not know all the specifics of the technology. I was very disappointed that academic world simply do not, either they do not understand, otherwise they ignored those specifics. Let me add one more thing that Raspberry cut um, because if it's too heavy. <laughs> the blockchain started with the notion that no rules, no government, no laws. Let's just run the system ourselves. And now I want to point out that such a system is entirely uh, not viable. Look at the society. The cyberspace is nothing less than a reflection of human society. Think about our society. Without the laws, without the law enforcement, how that would look like. Yeah. The uh, uh, Snare, this is a well-known name in security, had a book uh, titled Liars and Outliers. One important thing he described in the book is that in any society, there have always been the outliers, the people who violate the rules. Because if you violate the rules and most people follow, you have economical gains. And this kind of a self-interest uh, really kind of drives the, the bad guys to be always existing. And hence the need for the laws, for the law enforcement. In the anonymous blockchain, you don't even know who is doing what. Where's the laws and where's the law enforcement? And, yeah, and I've, then, heard a lot of, I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, even the best laid plans fail because they involve people. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, so someone on the blockchain side saying, hey, we start adding rules, we are doing uh, law enforcement. Who are they? Right? That was not the, in the gene of blockchain. This is added external forces, and that entirely break their original model of no rules, no laws. Uh, if they enforce their own laws, it merely says that they rejected the government laws and they created yet another mm. cyberspace government on their own. And how you can assure that this cyberspace government created by some arbitrary people will be doing exactly the right thing if they are not under the law of the society themselves. I'm done. You know, I think that's a, a completely other podcast of uh, law and technology <laughs> and how <laughs> up and uh, you know, everything else. Uh, yeah, I think this has been a, a very, very useful conversation and very good conversation because I, I think we all have you know talked about our own opinions and, and things, which is always a great thing, right? Not just you know stick to to documents and, and drafts and you know things like that. I want to, I have just one last question because we're running out of time, I think, as well. What's next for the research group? Uh, it has been around for about five years. 
what are you as chairs thinking are the next steps for this research group? Well, the early part of the history, uh, Dirk will tell, but uh, I joined the research group only in 2021. And then I think we are just currently finishing each other. Uh, so I wouldn't count the five year history per se. But as of now, the number one goal we want is the DRG to be the platform that all the discussions regarding decentralization of the internet would come to this joint platform and so that people can exchange their understandings of the problems and the solution space. And we have one now centralized platform to collect all the inputs. Yeah, I think that, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, so Alvaro, as you mentioned earlier, so there have been um, individual efforts, say in the IETF, IAB and so on to analyze this problem. But and also from like different perspectives, so like analyzing new threat models uh, and so on. But um, so there hasn't been a, a really consolidated effort so far. And so what we try to um, to do is, uh, as Lisha said, um, so develop uh, Dynergy um, as the like the one forum where like all these different activities and perspectives um, can come together. So first of all, to understand the problem better, but also to, you know, demystify um, this term decentralization a little bit. So because I think what we discussed earlier was centralization is a real problem. There's also like valid technology and research activities around decentralized communication and so on. But unfortunately, these two things are also hijacked uh, by some of the um, proposals that Lisha mentioned around uh, blockchain and, and Web3 to put forward, um, say, new architectures that uh, in the end would just lead to a different kind of centralized control. And um, so we, we hope we can avoid this by just having open discussions and, um, say, just shedding more light um, on, on what's going on in this space. I think that's an awesome goal, by the way, and I think it's very much needed. And so if people want to get involved, how would they do that? Like, just go to the website, join the mailing list. I know this is IRTF, so it's much more casual. Well, I mean, the IETF, you just do the same things, right? So, I mean, give people a description of, like, what would you do if you want to get involved in this or even see the presentations and stuff? Yeah, definitely. So um, so this is a, it's a, it's an open uh, research group, like, uh, I think, all of the IRTF groups at the moment. Um, so you can just uh, join the mailing list, um, attend our meetings, um, either uh, on site or also online. So we're having another meeting at the uh, San Francisco IRTF uh, in July, and we welcome everybody to attend this. Awesome. Okay, well, let's go around and see where people can get in touch with folks and what they're working on. So Tom, uh, where can people get in touch with you if they want to or follow you if they want to follow what you're working on? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Just search for Tom Ammon. Okay. Alvaro. Uh, you can find me in random hotel rooms like this one, uh, in different places. So uh, search. <laughs> where is Alvaro? There's a website out there. Where is Alvaro? Was <laughs> that a centralized or decentralized service, Alvaro? That's what we all want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dirk, where can people follow you or get in touch with you if they want to? Yeah, so you can just find me on my website, uh, dirk-kutcher.info, um, which is not hosted uh, in my own, on my own server, but 
anyway. Uh, it's almost impossible anymore to host stuff on your own server with double net and everything. So Alicia, where can people follow you? I know you teach, and so you probably have some research places where people can look at papers you're working on and stuff. Yeah, so I think it's easy. I don't have a personal website, uh, name the, personally name of the website, but you can go to UCLA CS department. I'm the only Zhang there, Z-H-A-N-G. Okay. It's the most popular Chinese last name. But unfortunately, <laughs> our department only has one. <laughs> for now. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of The Hedge. If you're out there listening, thanks for spending time with us. Um, your attention is really important to us because we live in a kind of overly born world where everybody wants your attention all the time. And we try to make it worth your while to listen to us. Um, thanks to Alicia and Dirk and Alvaro and Tom for coming on. And thanks for listening to this episode of The Hedge, and we will catch you next time. Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or follow along at rule11.tech.